what if you thought of your job as a game? And then you can ask yourself, well, what job, as in what game, do I want to play? You're listening to Share, Inspire, Repeat, where we explore uplifting, inspiring, and unique stories from around the planet. Things we're doing as human beings that you'll want to talk about that make us better people. A little dose of positivity in your day? Coming right up. And now for your host, AJ Mises. Well, hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Share, Inspire, Repeat. I'm AJ Mises, and it's great to have you with us today for another great episode where we introduce you to a person in the world that's doing a lot of good, and I can't wait for you to meet our guest today. But before we bring him on stage, I just wanted to remind everybody that we only get to bring the good to the masses via your subscriptions and via your ratings on the different podcast services that are out there. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure you stop right now. Trust me, the episode will still go. Pull open that window and give us a review, a rating, and make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast because that's how we build all of the goodness and make sure that we're out there and people are aware of what we're trying to do with Share, Inspire, Repeat. So thanks in advance. And for those of you who've already done it, thank you. So for our guest today, I have the pleasure of having a conversation with Luke Homan, and he is the founder and CEO of First Root, which is a benefit corporation devoted to creating great economic equality through participatory budgeting in schools. And a serial entrepreneur and internationally recognized expert in the agile software development, Luke's last company, Contenio, was an enterprise collaboration software company that helped large enterprises administer more than $3 billion using participatory budgeting techniques. And this guy has a lot of cool stuff that he's up to right now. So Luke, welcome to the show. Hi, AJ. Thanks for having me. And man, what an awesome intro. Every time you hear it, you just feel like, okay, I can handle another item on my task list. Yeah, exactly. I can do it. I can do it. (laughs) 100%. And the funny thing is for the listeners, Luke and I actually live maybe an hour away from each other in the Bay Area, right here in Sunnyvale. Yeah. If you drive like other friends of mine, maybe 40 minutes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, depending on your cruise speed. Uh, That's so true. We were just down in your neck of the woods last weekend at the new Topgolf in San Jose. Oh, very nice. That was really, really fun. Cool. Well, Luke, tell me about what you're up to right now, because you're kind of moving from Contenio, which was a company helping folks in the software space, now at First Root, which is in a totally kind of new space, I think. It is a new space for me. It's the same technique. So participatory budgeting is a process in which you take a shared budget, and then you basically bring people together at the table to figure out how to spend it. And it sounds deceptively simple, but it's actually radical. You have a background, an extensive background in human resources. So you know how awful the annual budgeting process is in most companies. It's we, terrible. It's terrible. It's literally terrible. It's always late. <laughs> it's, it's we, not, we tell it's, people in business, like the leaders, like work together. Yeah. But then during budgeting, we say fight over the budget. <laughs> So true. So true. Or like, just wait, like we have to figure that out first. Yeah, we can't tell you. It ends up affecting the whole company. Right. So what we do in participatory budgeting is we take that pot of money and we distribute it equally among the leaders. And then the leaders collaboratively choose how to spend it. So let's say you and I were on a team and there were other people, but we each had $5 million. But the budget line item for some new initiative was $7 million. 
Well, then you and I would work together. So we're taking this thing that's competitive and making it collaborative. I, I started it. doing that in San Jose and in some schools while I was doing my business. And I started to see what would happen when kids were included in these budgeting decisions. And then I did this really radical idea. I said, hey, let's give money directly to kids and let them decide how to spend it. Yeah. Wow. And what was the result of that? I'm so curious. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's not a new idea around the world. There are other places in the world doing it. But what we actually see is kids invest primarily in infrastructure. And what I mean by that is this process, by the way, it's not cavalier. It's not like you walk up to kids and toss money out of a car window driving by. Right. What you do is you support them in a process and it integrates design thinking and financial literacy and civics. So we start by saying, okay, what's the theme? Do you want to make the school better or safer? Do you want to prepare for after school? Then they create ideas. They shape those ideas into proposals. They vote on the proposals as a team. And then the winning proposals are implemented. And the reason we're doing this is sometimes the kids will have a great idea, but it's too much money, which is actually teaching them something about budgeting. Or they'll have a great idea and it may not affect enough people in the school. So, mm. you know, you may want to have a school-wide impact. The process is just delightful. Now, the kinds of things the kids pick, right? In Sunnyvale, we did a project at the middle school and they chose a 3D printer to help prepare for the kind of jobs that are coming in the future. In Purdue Polytechnic High School in Indianapolis, one of our customers, they ended up choosing improvements to their library so they could have a reading space outdoors. But we've seen kids upgrade cafeterias, upgrade bathrooms, buy chemistry and other equipment for labs, buy music equipment. Instead of the adults in control of the money, the kids are in control of the money and they do a great job. That is so fascinating because I can remember a lot of times as kids, right? We would say, oh my God, if only we had this or if only these bathrooms were fixed up, I wouldn't be scared to go to the bathroom or, you know, and you have these adults that are making decisions about what the experience should with quotes be like for the kids. Whereas like the end user of the school experience are the kids. Like the kids are the ones that are going through and experiencing the results of whatever budget happens. So I think that's so brilliant to put the power back in the end user's hands. Yeah, and you know, I'll say one thing and then we can do a couple of other parts of that we had for talking. But what's kind of fun is sometimes adults are like, well, why would the kids need to upgrade their bathrooms? You know, the adults take care of it. And then I just ask them a simple question. When you were a kid in school, did you go to the same bathroom that the teachers went to? Whoa, no, the teachers have separate bathrooms. Right. So how do you know what the experience of the kids are? Right. You don't go there. Right. And then people start their eyes, they soften. Everyone softens. Like they have these hard edges and then they hear something that makes them soften. And they're like, oh, wow, I never thought about that. I never had that perspective. Yeah, mm -hmm. you didn't. Like you said, what is their experience? Not what is your experience? What's their experience? Or what's your interpretation of their experience? Because there's always a filtration that happens as a result. Absolutely. You know, I love it. Okay, cool. Well, I'm sure we could talk about what First Root does all day long. But what I really want to tap into, Luke, is your experience as a leader of your former company, of this company. And how did you learn that you had an inclination or that you were gravitating towards being in leadership roles, right? especially company leadership roles? 
Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things. First, I had earlier in my career people who helped me. And I think that we all have a responsibility as leaders to help other people. Because if you really admit it, all of us had someone help us. Yep. It's that simple. And so part of what I wanted to do is I felt that desire to become a leader was to create the same kinds of opportunities that others gave to me, mm-hmm. sometimes when I didn't really earn them or deserve them, right? You're young, you think you can do anything, and someone says, okay, fine, I'll give you this assignment, but you don't have any experience, really. And yeah. you don't really have that capability, but someone believed in you. So I think the power of believing in someone is what leaders do. And It's a magical power when someone says, I think you can do something. So I think the first motivation for me was to pay it forward Mm. and share that with other people, believe in them. And Mm -hmm. then that starts the process. Yeah, I love that. And I think that is so important and where a lot of folks sometimes don't get it right is they ascend or they move into a leadership role because it's like a natural progression from being an independent contributor to then becoming a leader and not necessarily because of this intentionality to give back and to inspire and to believe in the folks. And I talk to folks all the time about, you know, that they want to ascend in their career, they want to do other things. And sometimes they won't get chosen for something because on the job description, let's just say, or like what they're looking for on their basic qualifications, they don't meet their requirements. They don't have the experience. And I think you brought up a really important point, which is our job as leaders is to believe in people, especially when they don't have the experience so that we give people the experience they need to grow in their careers. And that speaks to me to another really important concept for me, and that is the role of failure in leadership and experience. I wrote an article a long, long time ago for a magazine I wouldn't expect an HR person to read, which was the IEEE transactions on software engineering. <laughs> right? Yep, I think I missed that one. <laughs> <laughs> but it was about the role of how do you coach a rookie, right? How do you coach a rookie? And I think that part of leaders know, like we have this tension. I see this person, I want to help them out, but oh, they could fail. Mm-hmm. And that's a legitimate thing. They could, or sometimes they might. So for me, the question now becomes, well, what's a failure experience that won't permanently damage the individual or the company? Mm -hmm. Because if it's not going to permanently damage the company, you could probably handle the mistake. And if it's not going to permanently damage the individual, they can probably handle the assignment that you give them. Yeah. I have seen, however, and part of this is my own personal experience. One time when I was moving forward in my career, I was promoted to a vice president position at a subsidiary of an old company, Electronic Data Systems. It was, you know, Ross Perot's company. And that's where I started my career. And I got promoted to a pretty important position. And I gave someone an assignment that was outside of their skill. And I pushed them to succeed in a way that they weren't ready. And that experience kind of broke that person a bit. Mm. They got into a place of burnout because I was pushing them Mm. and I asked them to do too much. And so to me, the failure in retrospect was not that individual. It was mine as the leader because I gave something to someone. I believed in them. That was fine. Check that box. But then I gave them something that was just way beyond their present skills. And then I didn't support them enough in helping them be successful. So I think you have to really look at that role of possible failure because it could occur and then make sure that it doesn't end up damaging them. Mm -hmm. 
Totally. So how would you go about as a leader determining whether or not an experience could damage somebody or could damage the company? Like what are some of the questions that you would ask yourself? Well, damaging the company, I think, is the easier one because you can look at the costs and the benefits and the risks. And you might look at, for example, compliance and or legal relationships or the various laws that might exist around a business. For example, you wouldn't ask someone in a restaurant, even though I know nothing about restaurants, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't put a person in charge of cleanliness who has no background in janitorial services, right? Because you're dealing with food and food safety and there's standards and practices. So I think one of them is to make sure that they have the technical competence, the technical knowledge, some relevant portion of technical knowledge. Then you look at the risk factors associated with it and say, you know, can I give this person this thing? Do what I didn't do the first time, which is monitor them in the beginning stages to make sure they're not going off course. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing about those combinations is create more frequent check-ins. This is often associated with a field that I'm very comfortable with, agile software development, where we build software in iterations and in small pieces of functionality, but we're testing all the time. So when you kind of blend those things together, you can create in any context, not just software development or technology development or Silicon Valley, but in any context at work, in any work environment, you can create an opportunity for people to succeed. I love that. And so many good points there. And I think the thing you mentioned about like just increasing your proximity at the earlier stage of the process to ensure that you're checking in, what can I unblock for you? Is any of this overwhelming? Like just making sure that the guardrails are there so that they feel safe and they feel like they can be successful. I think that's such an important point. I love that. And then letting them fly, right? So if they get it, let them fly. Yeah, let them run. Yeah, Yeah. let them go. Yeah, I love it. Cool. So I want you to talk about the role of a CEO. We have some (laughs) CEOs on the show here, and I always love asking this question because it's eye-opening to be transparent about this if you feel comfortable. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just curious, like, what's the toughest part of being a CEO? Uh, Wow. So the role of the CEO, I'm going to start with the word that you used in the last section, which was the, hey, are you blocked, right? So I had a set of great leaders who taught me so many things. And I remember when I got first promoted the very first time from an individual contributor to a manager, and I had a great leader who I was working for, and he brought me into his office and he said, you know, we're going to promote you. He said, this is the hardest transition is your first promotion because you got here because you always made yourself better. He said, now I don't care if you're 10% better because you've got 10 people reporting to you. Your job is to make all of them 10% better because then I get 100%. And I was like totally blown away. He said, so that's a challenge and it's going to be a really big deal for you to change. So I think what you said is, are you blocked? And I think the role of the CEO for a smaller company is to make sure they're unblocked. And I should let the listeners know, when you're asked about the role of the CEO, and you listen to my particular answer, you should decide, is the context the same? Meaning I'm not the CEO of BMW. I'm not the CEO of Cisco. Their issues are different. I'm the CEO of a startup. And that's kind of like the pocket I play. And I understand. I I understand small to mid-size and fast growth. And so for that role, there's a couple of things. There's the mechanical stuff, like making sure you have enough funding, making sure your team has unblockage and things like that. Mostly, I think I define my personal brand. So I think every person listening should take a moment and define their personal brand. Oh, I love that. 
Take out a pen and paper, people. Take out a pen and paper. Here's my personal brand, and it's not what you expect, I promise. I provide positive energy to systems that need it. I love that. I'll say it again. I provide positive energy to systems that need it. So as a CEO, I just walk around and I look at my entire company and I say, well, what system needs what energy? What positive thing do those people need to be successful? Sometimes it's in marketing where the marketing team may not be aligned on the message, or sometimes it's the developers who may feel a little out of touch with customers, or sometimes it's the operations team who are struggling with some legal compliance or other issue. doesn't matter. You know, finance... Luke, it's too hard to do invoicing or even HR. Hey, our healthcare provider is changing rates and they're no longer providing the services our employees need. What do we do? That's the job of the CEO to find those systems that need that help and do exactly what you said, unblock them. Yeah, I love that. I love the thing that you said around the CEO's job is to add energy where it's needed. I'm paraphrasing, so sorry, I didn't. Yeah, 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 that's <laughs> okay. Right? But I think that's so important. And I think energy is like the key word that I want to hone in on because I'm sure you have too, Luke. I've worked for leaders that don't provide energy. It's more like criticism or leading with fear-based tactics to help try to drum up some focus or some energy. And those are the ones that typically don't create cult followings that don't have really great engagement scores, you know, from an HR perspective. It's the ones that really are there as an instigator or to provide energy, a good energy in a positive direction that typically are the best leaders that I know. So I'm just curious around your thoughts there. So for podcast listeners, you should know that we're both really smiling throughout this whole podcast because we're asking and talking about things we care about so much. So I'm chuckling a little bit, AJ, because I'm sure you've worked for those leaders. And my answer is, yeah, for like a month. And once I find out those people, once I find out that it's one of those leaders in my life, I am out of there. 100%. I just, Bye. I don't, why would I? Now, I understand that not everyone has that same opportunity to work and we work in the tech industry or you have a background in tech and HR. So we have the opportunity to have jobs that we can get a, possibly a little bit more easily. But frankly, I really push hard on people when they start complaining too much about their work because either they're whining and I don't have time for that. Or there's a legitimate complaint, like they really are working for an individual who's not reasonably enlightened. They're fear-based, they're yeah. limiting. My number one advice is, look, you're not going to change people. You're not going to change that individual. We know that. So move on. Mm-hmm. Plan. And this is, I got to go here, AJ, because I promised I would. I want to talk about Luke's perspective on the employment <laughs> from the lens of game theory. Please. I'm so fascinated by this because this (laughs) might play into what we're talking about here. Please continue. So why do we play a game? Well, most of the time we play a game because it's enjoyable. But if you actually look at game theory, and I wrote a book about games. One of my books is about serious games, which are a serious game is a game that you play not for entertainment purposes, but to create a business outcome. So that's a serious game. So then the question becomes, well, what's the difference between serious games and regular games? And one of them is entertainment. And there's lots of games, right? There's golf and football and basketball. And those games are all voluntarily chosen. And one definition, a very famous definition of what is a game, it's the voluntary choice to overcome arbitrary obstacles. Ooh, voluntary choice to overcome arbitrary obstacles. 
I like that. Right. So on this side of the line, I can touch the ball with my hands. I cross the line and I can only kick the ball. And now we've invented the game soccer. Okay, great. (laughs) Right? Any rational person could walk up to the hole and just drop the ball in it. But people like to whack it with a stick and play golf. (laughs) I'm one of those. (laughs) You're one of those. Okay. So, but you've chosen that, right? Right. Well, what if you thought of your job as a game? It's arbitrary obstacles, right? Because each work is choosing its own obstacles. Like I want to gain market share or I want to gain revenue. I want to gain profit. Mm -hmm. But it's a voluntary choice. And then you can ask yourself, well, what job, as in what game, do I want to play? play? I love that. I love that. And what's most enjoyable when I'm playing the game? Right. And what's amazing is you have your own experience about jobs. I have mine. Every listener has their experience of jobs. But One of the nice things about the game theory is you mentioned leaders who have followers or alumni. I love all the people who've worked for me. And I think most of them have enjoyed me because working for me, because when they come in and say, hey, Luke, I'm being recruited or I might want to take a new job. I'm like, great. What would be in it for Mm -hmm. you? Like, why would that be great for you? Because if it's great for you, it's going to be great for everyone. But more importantly, I'm a parent. I've got four kids. I don't play shoots and ladders anymore with my kids because they're older. Uh-huh. It's a boring game. And so we play games and game theory until the game becomes boring. So maybe the job is just fine. But, you know, I had one guy who worked for me for four years. He said, Luke, I've worked here for four years and I really like it. But Google's recruiting me and you brought me right out of college and I've never worked for a big company. And it kind of sounds cool to go work for a big company. Would you be OK with that? I'm like, of course, I'd be OK with that. I mean, I'm yeah. sad to lose you. You're a great person. You're a great employee. But if that's the new game you want to try playing, play it. Try it out. Play it. Yeah, totally. And see what you like. It. Like, I'm going to liken it back to your sports analogy, right? Like, I'm playing golf right now. I want to go see if I like soccer. And that is okay. I talk to people all the time who have guilt around like the desire to change or like, you know, I've been so loyal to this company or I really love my leader and I would hate leaving them because they would leave them in a lurch. But I always say like, you're just in a new season. You're a new season of something that is now important to you now that was not important to you X number of years ago. And that is okay. And you could always go back to that game. I'm going to use your analogy. If you decide that this new game is not your jam. Absolutely. And so I think that if listeners can take one or two things out of our conversation together, the idea that employment could be likened to a game. And then I can say, well, you know, By the way, some games are kind of done like video games. A lot of people will play video games all the way through because there's a story, there's an arc, and then they're done. Yeah, They they play the video game through. And so maybe you've played your job through. Maybe you can't get the next level of growth for yourself because you kind of figured out the game, the players, the strategy. So you might want to need a new game just for your own growth. And that doesn't make the company wrong or the relationship broken or anything that's negative. It's just... It's time for a new game. Luke, oh my God, this is blowing my <laughs> mind. I love this. I love this whole philosophy that you have. We're going to blow it up all over the place because I think people can think about it in this way. It really just makes a lot of sense. And it also like depressurizes the situations that we find ourselves in too, right? Well, and in so, any game, I'll add one more thing. I know we're nearing the end of the time, but keep in mind that the first time you play a game, you're not playing the game, you're playing a game. 
And what I mean by that is any complex game requires you to learn the rules. So the first time you and I play Monopoly, we didn't really know the strategy of Monopoly. We were figuring out, oh, you land on a space and you count, oh, you buy, okay, when can we buy? Or sellers, any board game or card game. I love Euchre. I'm from Buffalo in the Midwest, oh, and so we nice. play Euchre. So, but like Hearts or other games. And so the first time you play, you're not playing, you're learning how to play, which also makes that entry to the new job you don't have to be perfect on day one. You're learning the rules. Mm, yes, totally. And then at some point you get so good where you're like, oh, I know the move that so-and-so is going to make. And so then you can start being strategic, right? That's There's right. like a kind of a learning curve. So then you get to a point where you're like one step ahead of everybody else that's playing. Um, <laughs> and then at that point, is it still exciting to you? And it might be. Right. So stay. Yeah, so stay if it is, 100%. <laughs> okay, so where do I, oh my gosh, so many. I feel like we could talk for hours, my friend. So what's the number one thing that people need to know about setting themselves up for success in life? Focus. It's simple. I mean, I have a problem where I will succumb to pursuing too many things. And I think a lot of people do, not just CEOs, but lots of people do. And so my family laughs at me a lot, but I'm an incessant list guy, like list, list, lists, like, you know, <laughs> dad lists for Saturday. There you go. Yeah, he can there, see it on the is. screen, right? There it is. And I need those lists to help me stay focused. Mm -hmm. And I think the number one thing that people lose is, is focus because they get impatient. And I've seen too many times where people have come in and I'm like, they want to make a change. I'm like, okay, before you make that change. Did you consider that you're just on the edge of greatness? And if you would just focus a little bit longer, you could accomplish your goal and do whatever next thing you want. I think that to me is the number one thing that I see is that that lack of focus mm -hmm. of just staying with it long enough to complete it. Mm -hmm. Yep. See it through. See it um, through. I love it. And then what would you say? We ask every guest this on the show. How, how can people continue to bring more good into their lives? Say thank you. Just say mm. thank you. I can promise you if I cracked open screen sharing and showed you my outbox, I've had at least three emails today that start with thank you. Be of gratitude. You didn't get there on your own. I don't care how great you think you are. You didn't do it all on your own. Someone helped you structurally or directly. So be of gratitude. Oh. Find a way to say thank you. Luke, that is so powerful. And I think oftentimes we forget how, especially in this digital world now, right? We're not meeting with people in person as much as we did in you know 2019. And sometimes we may forget to type those two simple words or to have that moment and holding space for that moment of gratitude, just to say thank you. If there's any leaders out there, I 1000% endorse <laughs> Luke for saying this because I, I just think it's really, really meaningful. You may think as a CEO yourself, it's not, but I'll tell you, it is one of the most powerful things you can say to an employee showing up in that way and having gratitude. I totally agree with you. Yeah. And I'm going to add, cause I had one guy who worked for me who was amazing and he just wasn't very full of gratitude. And I finally told him, and sadly it was a man because men tend to be less filled with gratitude, which I don't know why, but it's true. And I just said, say thank you. Even if you don't mean it, cause you can type it in an email and get used to the habit. And after a couple of months of that, I said, how's it going? And he said, well, actually, now I mean it because I saw what happened when I said thank you. Yeah. And he said, I admit, I did not mean it when you made me start saying thank you. I thought it was <laughs> just another, oh, it's a loop thing. He goes, but I did it. And now a couple of months later, he said, I actually mean it because I've seen what happens when I say thank you. Yeah, totally. The energy, the shift is just is palpable. 
we got to try it first. You got to do it. Uh, just to see it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Luke. Well, where can people find more information about you online and about your book, about your company? Yeah, www.firstroot.co. And then just search for the name Luke Homan. I'm pretty accessible on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easily found. And I would be honored if someone said, hey, and especially from this podcast, we'd like to pay it forward. Awesome. That's great. And we'll put all the links in the show notes below. So for everybody who wants a link to Luke's stuff, you can check it out in the show notes. But Luke, it's been such a pleasure. I feel like we could probably have a part two of this episode. I'm Uh, at your service. (laughs) If you'd be willing to have me, I'd be willing to hang out with you. All right. We're going to get it scheduled. Luke, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, AJ. Awesome. Great, everybody. Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Share, Inspire, Repeat. That was Luke Homan. My name's AJ Mises. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Share, Inspire, Repeat with AJ Mises. Interested in sharing a story or being a guest on the show? Visit shareinspirerepeat.com to introduce yourself or to submit a story. You can also check out more details from this episode by visiting shareinspirerepeat.com.